Hey guys, this is Kevin Haswell. Welcome to our next episode of the Visitor's Bullpen. Unfortunately, my co-host Matt Wyrick out of town this week, so we do have two special guests, one from last week, Justin Copeland and Michael Rockless. Justin Copeland goes to Iowa State, big Cardinals fan. And then Michael Rockless is the co-president of the Sports Business Society at UVA, which is UVA's sports analytics club. Uh, I'm excited to have these two guys on board and get their thoughts on Major League Baseball. So thanks for coming on, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really excited to talk about everything that's coming up second half of the season. Uh, we'll get to all that later, but just really glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Has It's always fun to come back. Yep, so we'll jump right into it. The All-Star game tonight, uh, deciding it no longer is actually deciding home field advantage in the World Series. Uh, big change for Major League Baseball that has separated them from other All-Star games in the past, but they have decided to change the rule. Michael, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think a lot of people have conflicting opinions on this, and I think I agree with what the consensus is, is that I understand the change and I accept it, but I don't necessarily love it. Obviously, baseball's all-star game has been the gold standard of all-star games between the four major sports in the United States, and it's because of that home field advantage. It's a big event, the players care, the managers care, and that's a really great aspect that the game has carried on since that started in 2003 following the tie in 2002, which basically was the catalyst for them making it more valuable of a game. And I really like the things like Ned Yost in 2015 saying, you know what, my team's going to be in the World Series. I'm going to manage this game to win. I don't care if I hurt anyone's feelings. And I like that. That's a great level of competitiveness that we're probably just not going to see anymore. But with all that being said, I'm perfectly fine with the change. I understand it. It makes sense. You don't want the team with the best record in baseball having to go on the road for four games out of seven and not start at home against a team that squeaks into the playoffs. And for all those reasons, and, and I, that's just such a big one with home field advantage so important in the playoffs, it's something that they just had to switch up. Um, so at the end of the day, I'm okay with it. Yeah, see, the switch, it does make more sense for the World Series and uh, for the season as a whole, but it does make the World or the All-Star game uh, less enjoyable for the fans uh, before the change, the All-Star game actually meant something, gave players a reason to play extremely hard because no one wanted to lose home field advantage for their league or for themselves. Now with the major change to the format, Major League All-Star game, Major League Baseball All-Star game has moved closer to being like other major sports All-Star games like NHL, NFL, and the NBA. Um, now the Futures game, the Home Run Derby have almost more meaning than the All-Star game itself. Uh, the changes to the All-Star game are just bad for the game of baseball. Well, I'm, with all that said, I'm actually for this change. I like that it doesn't come down to just one game. Like I think that a, a team over a course of a season has a better record than the other team they're facing in the World Series. They deserve the home field advantage. And going to the All-Star game, it's not like the managers were pitching Clayton Kershaw for seven, eight innings to try to win the game. The game is still going to be relatively the same tonight as it was in past years. Starter's going to go two innings, and they're going to switch up, and all the bench players are going to get in. So overall, it's going to be the same game. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with the rule change at all. Yeah, I, I agree with Cope. At the end of the day, you know, the, the you want the World Series to be a representation of the best thing in baseball. And, and what you don't want is what happened last year and what could have been a big problem last year. You had the Cubs at 103 wins, nine games better than their World Series counterparts, the Indians at 94 wins. And that was the most important World Series baseball has had in a long time. And just imagine the uproar that would have happened if 
The Cubs lost the game due to a fluky bounce at Progressive Field or whatever stadium the Indians play at nowadays. <laughs> or you, just for whatever reason, there's a walk-off or something where home field advantage was the determining factor that the team that was nine games better throughout the entire regular season, the undisputed best team the entire season, lost due to the fact that their team didn't win the All-Star game. Now, granted, they had half their team in the starting lineup, but as Justin said, you're only playing a couple innings anyways. It's not representative of a baseball game. It's not representative of which league is better, and therefore it should not be representative of who gets home field advantage in the most important series for the entire season. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that the home field advantage in Game 7 up because you know the Cubs had that three-run lead late in the game, and, and Rajay Davis hit the the momentous home run down the left field line, one of the best home runs in World Series history, uh, really brought the Indians back in the game going into the rain delay. Even though the Cubs did come out with the victory, uh, the home field advantage definitely showed in last year's World Series. So, switching topics. Uh, with the All-Star game tonight, we got the second half starting soon. Uh, what are you looking forward to in the second half, Justin? Uh, I'm looking forward to that NL Central race. I might be a little biased because the Cardinals, but it's a tight top three. You got five and a half games out are the Cubs and the Cardinals of the hot Milwaukee Brewers. And they're going to see each other a lot in the second half. I think Cubs could turn it around very easily, which we'll discuss later. And the Cardinals have been playing pretty decent baseball lately, just beating Diamondbacks two out of three and the Nationals two out of three. And I, the Brewers have been playing without Ryan Braun for most of the season, and they're still nine games above 500. So I think it's going to be a really tight race down the stretch. They're going to see each other a lot. Should be a close race. Yeah, I, I like that one, uh, Justin. I'm going to shift focus to the other, the other league in baseball and talk about the American League wildcard race. I think this is going to be the most fascinating thing baseball has to offer for the rest of this regular season. Every single team in the American League is within seven and a half games of a playoff spot right now. And if you want to go even further, it's not like the National League where four teams are basically slotted into the playoffs. The, even the Red Sox and Indians are not that separated from the pack. So you have just about every single team in the league going to be vying for and competitive for a playoff spot. Now, obviously, your bottom feeders, your A's, White Sox, and Tigers, they're not going to be able to be seven games better than everyone else. So they're probably going to be sellers. But that still leaves nine teams, in, and that doesn't even include the Red Sox Indians, competitive for a playoff spot. And what's really great about that is there's great storylines with every single team down the list. You have the resurgent Royals, who've had a great comeback right before the All-Star break, and having their last go potentially with the core that had won them a World Series only a couple years ago. You have the Twins and the Rays, who are trying to get into the playoffs for the first time since they entered their rebuilds. Obviously, they were staples in the playoffs in the mid-2005-2010 to uh, mid stretch. And then you have the Angels with Mike Trout, who's baseball's undisputed best player. They've managed to stay afloat without him, and he's coming back starting the first game this weekend. And so when you have teams like that coming in and it's going to be competitive, you have the Blue Jays who have some superstars. You have the Yankees, obviously, who could make a move to become buyers. You know, there's, there's a lot of things going on, and I think this is going to come down to the very end for both spots, and it's going to be really exciting to watch going through August and September. Yeah, definitely a lot of uh, cool storylines for each team, but the biggest one in baseball has got to be Aaron Judge and the New York Yankees. Uh, last year after they struggled, entered a rebuild, and just like that, they're three and a half games behind the Red Sox with a 45-41 and 41 record going into the All-Star break. They have been struggling as of late. Uh, in the last 10 games going into the break, 3-7. and seven. Uh, But Aaron Judge seems to not stop hitting. Uh, the rotation's been shaky as of late with Masahiro Tanaka just pitching 
like garbage. It's it's been awful. But he needs to pitch better, and the rest of the rotation needs to pitch better for the for the Yankees to make it to the World Series. Now on to Aaron Judge. He currently has a slight chance of winning the AL Triple Crown. He's first in home runs, second in RBIs, and third in average in the American League. Uh, he will need to keep a torrid pace all season to keep the Yankees afloat. Uh, the wild card uh, race in the American League, like Michael said, is going to be very interesting, and the Yankees are one of those teams that I could see making the playoffs as a wild card. Yeah, just because the wild card race is so tight, let's get some predictions out there. Justin, who do you think is going to be representing the two teams? At this point, you could almost pick them out of a bag. It's so tight. I could, yeah. But I, I really am a good, a big fan of the Tampa Bay Rays. They got a lot of hitting. I mean, they got, I mean, they've just called up Jacob Freya, who's been a great starter for them, helping out their starting rotation, which goes around with Alex Cobb and other Chris Archer is an all-star playing tonight. And they got, I mean, hitters all over the place. And they just got Wilson Ramos back from ACL injury. They got Brad Boxberger, who's a good bullpen piece, back from injury. And I just, I think they're going to be a team that's going to squeak out a playoff spot. Yeah, so my, my picks for the last two wildcard spots in the American League would, would be the Yankees, like I talked about earlier with the way Judge is hitting. Uh, rotation pulls it together later in the season, and they get that first spot. Second spot, I like the Texas Rangers. They have a lot of uh, hitters in their lineup, underperforming Regnan Odor, only hitting about 215. And then you have guys like Mike Napoli, still hitting for power, but hitting below the Mendoza line. Uh, I look for those guys to turn around in the second half. And the Rangers just have a lot of talent with, you know, you Darvish and Cole Hamels in that rotation. Uh, Yankees and, and Rangers got to be my picks coming out of the AL wildcard. Yeah, um, you know, just I, I think if I have one lock of the bunch, I think it's going to be the Yankees. Um, I still think it'll be tight, but they do have the ammunition to go be buyers. They can also stay put and be the best team in baseball five years from now. They're very loaded uh, with what they're trying to do. Um, and then two teams I'm keeping an eye on. I do like the Rays, but my other two teams, I'd love to see the Royals give it one last stretch. They had a magical two years in 2014, 2015, where they lost World Series in seven games as a wildcard team and came back the next year and ended up dominating their way to the World Series. And then the Angels, I think that Mike Trout appeal, really, really high. I'd love to see him get back into the playoffs, be playing in baseball's greatest stage. So those are the two teams that I'm keeping my eye on. So we'll switch leagues now. Uh, we'll move over to the National League. Uh, team in the wild card race and a little bit out of the division, five and a half games back of the Brewers, the Chicago Cubs. You know, big storyline last year, ending the curse, winning the 2016 World Series over the Indians in seven games. And this year, bit of a hangover, 43 and 45. Like I said, five and a half games behind the Brewers and seven and a half behind the second wild card spot the Colorado Rockies currently hold. Uh, Justin, what do you think the Cubs, do you think they'll turn it around for the rest of the season? I, I really think they can. I mean, you got guys underperforming. You got John Lester, who's not been himself. Jake Arrieta, who's had a couple really spectacular years, one of Cy Young, and he's not pitching well this year. The good thing is, is they have a pretty solid bullpen, and I think that's going to help them down the stretch. If the starters can just get a little bit better and work better. I mean, their ERA in the first inning is 7.26, which could have been a little skewed because of Sunday's John Lester, just 10-run inning, just awful. But still, that's a lot of runs even without those 10-run first inning on Sunday. I mean, so, and even down the stretch, if you look at their schedule, they only got nine tough games, like six against the D-backs, three against the Nationals, two against the Rays. Oh, I apologize. They also have 
10 games with the Brewers, which I think will be a very important 10 games for them. They can make up games to get back into the first place in that division because I don't think they're going to squeak out a wild card spot with how far ahead the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers are. So we'll see what they can do. Yeah, I don't think I'm as high on the Cubs as you are. Um, Long term, I I just don't see this team going that far. Now, do I see them, especially with all the interdivision games that they're going to have competitive? Can they be competitive? For sure. Um, But beyond that, I'm just not that high on the Cubs right now. You look at a team, they've, they've suffered a pretty bad World Series hangover. They lost David Ross, who was their lead veteran last year. And then in addition to that, probably most importantly, you've seen a huge regression from a lot of their players. Brian had an MVP season last year. He's great, but he's not an MVP this year. Rizzo's having a down year by his standard. By his standards, they're not quite as lucky. Zobris and Hendricks find themselves in the DL, and you just go down the line, and there's all these problems that they've been having. Addison Russell's being benched out there, and then you look at their pitching. We're just going further and further. Arietta's ERA has gone from 177 when he won the Cy Young two years ago to 310 last year to 4.35 this year. John Lackey went from a very respectable three war last year, which is great for a third starter, to now he's at a negative war this season in an ERA over five. There's just a lot of problems, and I think you see that exemplified with the comments Miguel Montero is making. He's been a disgruntled member of the Cubs with his role for a while, but then it all kind of comes out, you know, a couple weeks ago when they when he gave up all those stolen bases to the Nationals, and this just kind of seems like a team of dysfunction, and maybe they can turn it around, but I, I think their, their ceiling right now is a first-round exit. I, I'm not that high on the Cubs. Yeah, so Justin touched on this, but their rotation, not pitching as well as last year, along with their lineup, uh, 14th in the National League in batting average this year. That was, They were 6th in the National League in batting average last year, almost 20 points worse this year than last year. They were 11th in the National League in runs. Uh, they're 11th in the National League in runs this year, but they finished the 2016 season 2nd in the National League in runs. So they're definitely not producing in that lineup like they did last year. The rotation not pitching as well as it could be. And the only way they're able to make the playoffs is through the division. Because if you look at the wild card, the Diamondbacks and the Rockies are just dominating those top two spots. Um, seven and a half games ahead of the Cubs. And the Cubs are the closest to the Rockies for that second spot. Um, but, you know, if you look at the NL Central, I know Justin talk, touched on this earlier. Uh, it's a very weak division, probably one of the weakest in baseballs. And I don't think the Brewers are able to sustain this success down the, down the stretch. Cardinals, you know, they've been up and down, kind of a mediocre team. Pirates, probably sellers of the deadline, we'll see. And then the Reds are just an afterthought. No, no one no one thinks about the Reds because they're just they're not good. The Cubs are lucky they play in one of the weakest of divisions in baseball. But I think the rest of the way they're gonna be they're gonna be a tip in tip top shape and they're gonna turn around. I think the all-star break was a perfect time for them to turn it around. Uh one thing I would like to mention is like two years ago, the Nationals uh, coming off a playoff berth, they almost had the same type of uh, season. They had all this firepower on their roster, only finished with about 80 wins, didn't make the playoffs. Um, I could see that happening with the Cubs, but I think it's more likely that they, they get through this and they win the division. Yeah, to kind of echo that point, what I noticed a lot is there's always these teams where everything went right the year before. The Chicago Cubs, as cursed as they had been for 108 years, everything went right for them last year, down to the final inning of the World Series, just everything was, it was a picture-perfect season for them. I don't see that happening this year. You guys sound a little bit higher on the Cubs. It's looking like whoever wins at NL Central is going to be matched up with the Nationals who are going to win the National League East because the Dodgers are just so far ahead. Do you think that they can 
get back to the NLCS, beat the Nationals if that's who they end up facing, and then even go further than that? I believe they could beat the Nationals. If you look at the Nationals this year, I mean, they've played a lot of poor teams. They've had a very easy schedule. Their only their interleague play hasn't been against any of the playoff teams. They haven't played Yankees, Red Sox. They're playing all the AL West teams that isn't Houston. They don't play Houston until later in the season. So we'll see if they can match up against Houston because, I mean, that's going to be the good competition they get. And I mean, they're 8-8 eight and eight versus the NL Central. And they haven't played the Brewers yet. So, I mean, the Nationals, I'm not sold on the Nationals. They have a 4.16 ERA, which is the worst among all playoff teams, except for Colorado, and they're .01 better than the Rays. So I'm I'm not sold on the Nationals. I think the winner of the NL Central could definitely beat the Nationals in a a series. Yeah, the, the Nationals, I'm not too high on them either. You know, they've had the bullpen issues. They can't find a closer. They're going to have to trade some prospects away to get a, a good closer at the deadline. Um, we'll see who they go after. But another big issue for the Nationals is like what Cope touched on. They haven't played much competition this year. If you look at the division, the Mets are awful. The Braves are overperforming, but still below 500. Phillies, probably the worst team in baseball. Still my team, though. And then, you know, the Marlins, they just underperform every year. And, you know, the Nationals, they play most of their games in the – you play most of your games in the division, and they're playing the easiest team. So I think, I mean, unless they get the closer role fixed, Nationals another early exit in the playoffs. Yeah, just to fill in for Matt here and, and someone have – someone bid for the Nationals. You haven't seen a team with them that's been completely healthy the whole season. Obviously, what's kind of a flip for them is their offense has been their dominating force. Trey Turner and Jason Worth are injured right now, but that offense is completely loaded. And with pitching, the the Brewers and Cubs' strength is not their pitching, especially the way the Cubs starters have been this year. And obviously, the bullpen for the Nationals is a problem. you got to think that's going to get fixed. But I I, I agree with you guys. I think that can be an interesting series. Obviously, the Nationals have had no luck winning in the playoffs for as good as they've been over the last five years or so. Um, but to me, they're going to have home field advantage in that series. You'd have to think, like you said, they play in the NL East, a lot of easy games. It's going to pad the record. Uh, maybe they don't have those, those kind of games where your real identity games, where you kind of figure out who you are in tight spots, but I, to me, that's okay. They'll take home field. And, uh, I, I think they have a better chance than the Brewers or Cubs to represent, uh, the NL East, I guess, in the, in the NLCS. Yeah. I mean, you look at. The Nationals roster, and, and I've touched on this many times. I've touched on this in past episodes. The bullpen needs to be fixed. Where do you guys think they should go at the deadline with relievers on the market? Where, where do you think they should go? I think the Nationals are an interesting case when it comes to relievers. There's a couple of good guys out there, like Brad Hand on the Padres and Pat Neshek on the Phillies, guys who are guaranteed to go. But if you look at the Nationals, I don't think they want a dominant eighth inning guy. I think they need a dominant ninth inning guy. They've lost a lot of games recently in that ninth inning, and that's not what they have. Blake Trine and Cloda Glover, Matt Albers, Joe Blanton, none of those guys are are someone you can look to in the ninth inning and say, go get him. You can't do what Kenley Jansen did last year with the guys that they have or some of the names being thrown out there. I'd be interested to see if they make a big splash, maybe even bring back a Mark Melanson who is hurt or try and go for a David Robertson of the Chicago White Sox. But, I, I mean, Mike Rizzo is a great GM. He's going to be active at the deadline. I don't think they're going to have some great bullpen at the end. I think they're going to get it figured out to a point where they're, they're going to be competitive. It's not going to hold them back as bad as it is right now. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because there is, across the beltway, Zach Britton, the Orioles, not playing as well as they could be playing. And the Nationals with their best prospect, there's been 
There's been discussions outside the organizations of maybe a, Rob, a Victor Robles for uh, Zach Britton, but that those those talks are far away. But that would be very interesting to see uh, Zach Britton flip from an Orioles uniform to a Nationals uniform. Yeah, just fun fact about that: the Nationals and Orioles never trade. These two teams don't like each other. Wouldn't expect necessarily that to happen. But I mean, I don't know if Robles is off limits. You're at the Nationals right now, and this is an interesting team. Your title window is not as big as you might want it to be with Bryce Harper being a free agent after 2018. Maybe Mike Rizzo looks at it and says, hey, we don't have that formidable first-round opponent that we've had in the past. Uh, let's go and get it this year. This may be our best shot. Yeah, the other, the last option I wanted to talk about was Rocio Iglesias of the Reds. Uh, been a lot of talk about the Nats maybe pursuing him. Uh, the Reds definitely in that rebuild, so they want to sell some of their uh, some of their value at the deadline. So definitely a story to watch the rest of the way. Uh, the Nats and the Cubs, uh, two teams that could be playoff bound. Me and Justin think the Cubs will. Mike not on the same page, but uh, now we'll move topics. Uh, best shortstop in baseball, Justin. Who do you got? Uh, I'm just gonna have to go with Carlos Correa. This guy's been dominant this year. He's on the best team in baseball. I think he's the best hitter on that team. Maybe Altuve's a better hitter, but I like Correa a lot. He's young. He's going to be good for a lot of years, I think. I mean, there's competition definitely at that position. There's Corey Seager. There's a Lindor. Lindor maybe having a little bit of a down year this year. Still an all-star. But, I mean, if you just look at Correa's numbers, like there's, I mean, he's just a lot better than these guys comparing-wise, so... Yeah, and I, I love shortstop in baseball right now. Um, as a left-handed person, you never got to play it, but it's always the go-to position uh, at, in the sport. And right now, they're having really a golden age of shortstops. Obviously, you had Jeter and A-Rod at times in the early 2000s. Uh, but for the most part, it was a very defensively speed-oriented position, not a lot of pop from that position. And now we're looking at it with you know guys like Correa and Seager and Lindor and Bogarts and Trey Turner, you know, and there's just a lot of really good talent there. And I'm going to say I love Correa. I think Correa definitely has all the credentials to be the number one shortstop in all baseball right now. I think he can actually make a push for that MVP against Aaron Judge. But a guy that I think is right up there with him, probably doesn't get the credit that he deserves, is Corey Seager. He's a young guy, but last year he was phenomenal. He finished way up there in the MVP voting. He's basically did it all for the team. He's a plus defender. He hit 308. He had 26 home runs. The teams that not only was a playoff team last year and pushed the Cubs to six games, so they had success there. This year they're over 60 wins already. This guy is a franchise cornerstone, and I think he deserves to be way, way up there with Carlos Correa, even if Carlos Correa is besting him through the first half of this season. Yeah, I mean. Correa was the Rookie of the Year in 2015, and Seager was the Rookie of the Year in 2016. But when you really dig into the Carlos Correa numbers, uh, going into the All-Star break, he's sixth in the majors uh, as a shortstop with batting average at 325. He leads all shortstops in runs, hits, home runs, RBIs, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, and OPS. Uh, a 15 war over his first three seasons in the majors, averaging a five war per season. And Corey Seager, if you compare the numbers, only 11.4 over his first three seasons. And Francisco Lindor with an 8.9 war over their first three seasons. I don't think it's a contest. I think Carlos Correa is by far the best shortstop in baseball. Yeah, and just to add on to Carlos Correa and how great he is, 
You know, last season he had what a lot of people would consider a down season, almost related to how some people might think of Andrew Benatendi this year, where he's not having those eye-popping statistics that you might have expected. But I think that's just a testament to how good Carlos Correa is as a player. So his rookie year, he came up, he played about 100 games, uh, played 55 more last season. He actually hit less home runs last year and had a lower average, which for me is why I give Corey Seager, who clearly had the better season last year, the nod. But for some people to think that that was maybe a down season for Carlos Correa, just, it really just speaks to how phenomenal of the, the expectations are for this guy. And he, him and Seager, you know, all these guys we mentioned are going to be MLB superstars and cornerstones for years to come. You know it's a great position when Xander Bogarts, middle of the Red Sox order, that's a first-place team, plays a solid shortstop. He got in the final vote and didn't win for the All-Star game. What it, It's incredible how great this position has become in baseball. Yeah, it's awesome, too, because if you look at Corey Seager and uh, Carlos Correa, they're both actually leading their teams to the best records in their respective uh, leagues with the Astros with the best record in the American League and the Dodgers with the best record in the National League. Uh, it's been very interesting. So, I have, uh, when we're on the topic of shortstops, uh, little Cardinals information here. We got a 23-year-old shortstop called up recently, Paul DeYoung. He had uh, eight extra base hits in a three-game series. I mean, it's the first time it's happened in Cardinals history. If you think about all the good Cardinals hitters there were, like Albert Pujols, Stan Musial, and he's the, the guy that do it. Of course, he did it against that NL East team, the New York Mets, who the Nationals have seen a lot this year. You know, I mean, but still, it's a, still a great feat for a young player. You might see him in the headlines more often in the second half. Yeah, especially with the with the Cardinals looking for defensive ability. If if he can play defense out there. Uh, the Cardinals are definitely going to put him out in the field. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying it. I don't know if you guys know this, but I've been saying it, at least in my household, about how they should have sent down Diaz a long time ago, couldn't play defense, and I'm glad they found a good replacement for him. And he's still a young guy, and I think he can improve, and I think that he'll be a good shortstop for them in the future. So I just wanted to bring this up. Uh, earlier this year, the Cardinals did trade Matt Adams to the Braves. Adams is hitting the hitting terrifically in that lineup and it's almost as if the Cardinals are missing him with the power in the middle of the lineup Justin what are your thoughts all right I just first of all I just want to say it's funny how they moved Freddie Freeman to third base Freddie Freeman is MVP candidate but the Cardinals refused to move Matt Carpenter from the position to make room for him I just think that's a little funny thing the Cardinals organization did but the Cardinals have found a new first baseman his name's Luke Voigt. He has 1,000 OPS at this point through a few games. I mean, he's been up for a couple series. And I think that they're improved hitting. They got, I mean, if you look at it this year, you'd think Dexter Fowler would be a huge contributor. But if you actually look at the numbers, they're only averaging 4.1 runs, runs when Fowler's in the lineup. But then when Fowler doesn't start, they're averaging 5.68 runs with a record of 17 and 8. And I don't think the organization is going to stop playing Fowler just because they gave him a lot of money and they don't want to look foolish, basically. So they're going to continue to play him. Yeah, it's funny. You know, the Cardinals are kind of the, uh, the Patriots, the Spurs of Major League Baseball where, you know, we're out here questioning their moves and it's kind of a curious decision looking back. But you got to like what the Braves did with that trade. You mentioned Matt Adams. You know, they're a team obviously not competitive for a playoff spot. They're in asset collection mode. So let, why they say let's 
tried Matt Adams at first base and Freddie Freeman at third base, see if we can improve ourselves. You got to like that, almost a Cardinals-esque move. Um, you know, so we'll see if the Cardinals' reign kind of ends and if the Braves ascend and if maybe that's a pivotal trade in that. Uh, so an interesting thing to keep an eye on as well. Yep. Well, we've run out of time today. Uh, it, was, it was great having you two on on the show. Uh, just a reminder, you can follow Justin Copeland on Twitter at jcopes underscore 23. Follow Michael Rockless on Twitter at Mike Rockless. You can also follow me, Kevin Haswell, your host today, uh, at Kevin R. Haswell. And follow the podcast Twitter account at The Visitor's Bullpen. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Yeah, I had a great time. I always love talking baseball. It was, it was a blast. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good week.